The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan I'm debt. so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my When's parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Welcome to Managing to be Wealthy. I'm your host tonight, Spencer Hager. With me, John Sestina. He's our founder, Craig Constant. Konstantinovich. It's a mouthful there. Yeah, I know. Me and Craig are both (laughs) certified financial planners. John's, of course, our founder and uh, CFP emeritus. That's where we're going with at this point. (laughs) Well, it's true. I retired the CFP. Yeah, exactly. They've sent me about 35 letters since then. You sure you don't want to rejoin? Yeah. (laughs) Don't want to pay the the dues? I don't want to pay the dues. It's (laughs) expensive. We got to pay for all those new fancy commercials that they're bombarding Uh, out there. I saw those. I thought you were impressed. Well, a little bit, a little bit. Waiting for uh, NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, to up their game as well, but... I, I digress. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's, okay, great. Hello, <laughs> yeah. Spence. Yeah. So for tonight's show, it's going to be a good one. We're going to start with current events, as always. <laughs> Main topic is going to be more of a conversation. It's going to be a lot about a lot of cliches, behavioral finance. Uh, came across the topic just because it drives me crazy getting on YouTube or seeing all the clips on TV. There's just a bunch of talking heads out there. A lot of people trying to grab headlines, not saying it's good or bad, but we're going to kind of go through, give our piece on uh, on a lot of those. But before we jump into that, first one's mortgages. Uh, mortgage demand, not sure if you both saw this, went down first time, mm-hmm. largest since 2018. Yeah. I'll be honest, that's a nice headline. Um, prices are still going up. They keep saying that it's because of lack of supply. And so between rates going up, prices going up, and supply dropping, I think a lot of people are getting pretty sick of the bidding wars. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, right now you hear it all the time. Hey, people are waiving inspections. People are coming in with all cash offers. You're getting offers that are you know, twenty, thirty, dollars $100,000 above asking price. It's, I think people are finally starting to realize at this point that, okay, maybe I can't afford the house that I have. And Again, I know I have not been shy about the uh, joys of home ownership that I've experienced <laughs> uh, in my brief tenure being yeah, a homeowner. You had to read a book about that. Uh, what Some, book, book is that? Managing to be wealthy. Oh, <laughs> I, I think I've heard that once or twice. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, again, I think the way that people are kind of looking at things, and honestly, I think a lot of the new options that are coming about and becoming available, I mean, there's a lot of the multifamily homes or like the apartment complex ideas that are out there, standalone condos, but... Uh, there's been a recent surge in renting single-family residences. So it's very similar to a condo, but it's truly a standalone home, and you're in there renting it month to month. Well, that's because the conglomerations are buying up all these homes, mm-hmm. and then they're renting them out. Right. So they become a big investment for those who can afford to buy them all up. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, they're adding nice little uh, features for the community, like pools like restaurants and things like that so kind of the uh the feel of the old florida retirement communities has 
started to branch its way into other communities at this point. So we're making the young people like you go into a retirement community, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> That's funny you say that, though, because I'll be honest. I saw it, and I thought it was more people are just tired of the hassle. Right? You spend six months looking. You're constantly in a bidding war, having to go way above asking price, and you just get sick of it. But it's mm -hmm. maybe both. Maybe it's people are sick of the hassle, and there's decent alternatives. Well, yeah, and then it comes down to the expense, too. I yeah. mean, obviously, not many people right now, given likely that a lot of people who are going to be first-time homebuyers were impacted by the pandemic, whether they lost their jobs, whether they had a reduction in income, whatever the case may be. What they're realizing is they came out of that and they may not necessarily have prepared as much for it as they would have anticipated. Some of the other cliches you had hinted at, we're going to talk about later on, Spencer. <laughs> yep. Um, but, you know, again, to put or to gather the 20% down payment to be able to come with all cash offers, not many people can do that. So I think that's also another piece as to why we're seeing this, you know, sudden surgence in this kind of a lifestyle arrangement is. People are finding it more practical, more reliable, other ways to kind of get what they're looking for, but not have to have all the costs on them. Well, more and more people are, I'm going to say it, lazy. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. And they don't want to take care of it. You, in the olden days, you know, when I was much younger and used stone tablets to write my messages. <laughs> chisel. Yeah. yeah, chisel, stone tablets. And uh, people would always have pride in fixing up their own home. Mm -hmm. There were no such thing as these major repair companies who would come in and do all wonderful things. But, you know, my dad would be up on the ladder fixing whatever it was. Yeah. And same with all the neighbors. Yep. But nowadays, and I'm one of the ones guilty, you know, if there's a leaky whatever, I hire someone. Yeah. So everyone's getting lazy. And that's changing a whole lot of things we may not be prepared for in the future. Yeah. Or maybe more practical, John. Maybe not just lazy, but I hear you loud and clear. <clears throat> not practical. <laughs> All right. Last thing on this. What do you uh, What do you think about this, John? So like last six years, seven years, I've been listening to people tell me that it's bound to fall off. Something's got to pop or adjust or something like that. Have you seen... You mean on bidding, the housing market? Just bidding wars like this. And yeah. I mean, it's crazy right now. Have you seen anything similar like this? No, I know my house is not sold. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I haven't put it up for sale yeah. yet. But yeah. nonetheless, no one's walked up with a check. And so uh, I, this is a strange time because of the pressure of those large companies buying up plots of homes. Right. And that's what's causing a lot of this pressure. The rising interest rates are not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact they went from three to five... That sounds like a lot, but really, over a period of time, those payments don't go up that much. Right. So that should not be a deterrent. And the real issue is how much longer will the the uh, motivation to own your own home, have your own place, to be proud of one thing, and that's the thing that concerns me because in America we're we're moving away from the individual. You know, we're getting into all this group stuff, and so the individual needs to be. Uh, responsible for him or herself, and that's the big key. Will people still want to do that? That's that's good perspective. We'll see what happens. We're going to keep talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it was an interesting headline. It's going to have to keep going down in demand for me to think it's a huge deal, but we'll wait and see. Could get interesting. Uh, <laughs> yep. Next one, John. Me again? You're going to pick on me again? Take it easy on this one. <laughs> so um, we've talked about this a lot of times. I know everyone's heard it at this point the potential forgiveness of some, of some student loans out there. Ah! Yeah, yeah. So they're, uh, they seem to be honing in hard on 10000 I bring it back up because if the talking heads are 
know what they're talking about at all. It sounds like that's becoming more and more realistic, maybe not 50,000 of forgiveness, mm -hmm. but 10's looking pretty enticing. Well, it's realistic because I believe the president today or Thursday was able to, uh, he just reduced loans that people had with a certain university to $10,000. They're going to pay it down, pay it down. And that one, I know they're claiming it's because they thought they were predatory. Like, I know they've done that with a couple others now. So they're doing it like it, both at once. They're posturing just for all st student debt they want to potentially ax 10. And then certain universities, they're really just well, forgiving everything. Well, you sneak everything. in. What you do is you don't go full bore. You go in little by little. Yeah. The camel sticks his nose in the tent. Then pretty soon the camel owns the tent. All right, what do you think about this? Because I thought it was an interesting perspective. Um, not saying I agreed or disagreed. They pretty much made the case that with how long we've put student loans in forbearance, at least on the federal side, with the interest savings you've given people, you've already granted a huge, pretty much a huge, look at it a grant or however you want to view it, they've already done a huge giveaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, there the, yeah. <laughs> it's a bigger issue than that because you start forgiving. What are they going to do for the guy who bought a lemon car and he financed it? They're going to refund his money for the loan? It's a bigger issue than the universities. Plus, the people who are trying to help here te technically don't need the help. They're going to have the high-paying jobs. They're the attorneys, the doctors, and whatever, and they're going to be making the big bucks and should be able to pay down their loans. I, I didn't. I know they're talking about putting an income cap on it too. Right. But I do. I know what you're, where you're coming from. Where traditionally a lot of the people that take on that debt tend to have come from more middle class, right. upper, uh, upper, not middle class, yeah. upper. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to uh, tiptoe around it, uh, but we'll uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next segment. So stick around. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Starting off this segment, we're going to wrap up current events and then start to move into the big brunt for tonight's show. Uh, but not to just bring up current events to talk about current events. So, Craig. Mm-hmm. Popular question I've been getting. Yeah. Curious to get your take on it. So, all right. So if you're someone who has student loans or maybe you've got parental loans mm -hmm. and you know there's a chance 10K is going to get wiped off the table, would you wait? Would you purposely not pay it off for the time being, whether it's six months, a year, the rest of the current presidency to look at paying it off? Good question. If uh, if we built houses on ifs and buts, we'd have a lot more houses that are out there. And we wouldn't have the housing supply situation that we do right now. But no, I mean, if if, if anything here, what I've seen, you know, just with some of the uh, political platforms, with what has been discussed, with where we're at right now, I mean, I would have a hard time saying absolutely. Let's go ahead and just wait for this year because. To that point, one thing that we don't necessarily have all of the details on is, like we've said, not everything is cheap, and certainly not everything is free. Mm -hmm. And to that point, I'll be interested to see how this all rolls out, if it is truly going to be $10,000 that is truly free and clear, paid off, that you're good, or if it's going to be like the public service student loan forgiveness that's out there right now, where that could be included as taxable income for the year. If that's the case, I'm getting a gift of $10,000 That's phantom income, and that could possibly adjust which, which tax bracket I'm in 
why would I want to necessarily quote unquote penalize myself for accepting a gift as opposed to paying something off that I've got the means to do? So from that perspective, I would say no sense in waiting. There's no guarantee that it's going to happen. If you've got the means to do so and it doesn't inf- impact your plan, pay off the loans. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. You're making, you're making a good point, but, but the issue is bigger than that. The issue is what are we teaching our consumers to believe? Mm-hmm. We're doing away with self-accountability. You have to always remember this country was founded on accountability, mm-hmm. individual accountability and property ownership. Those are biggies and people don't pay much attention. So now we're conditioning people not to buy property. Mm-hmm. And if you get a loan, we'll pay it off for you. What does that do to the consumer, to our population? What are we teaching them? So that's part of the deal. I always think of my father-in-law, five kids, and uh, he was a uh, carpenter, a contractor, and yet he paid for all five kids to go to advanced schooling to whatever level they desired. How he did it, I have no idea, but he did without any debt on any of the children. Wow. So that's accountability. You know, we talk about the greatest generation, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. And now we're slipping into this, well, you know, this is easier, this is nicer. We don't want them to sweat. We don't want them to worry. <laughs> they can just sign away their lives and we'll pay it for them. Yeah, I remember Stephen bringing this up too. There's a lot of fair points about the interest rate they got away charging people for the past several years and everything else. But I will say, I think the underlying message is maybe don't uh, don't switch up your plans too much just because people are talking about doing this forgiveness. They've been talking about it for years. If they do it and it helps you, great, but probably don't bank on it. Mm-hmm. All right, last piece on the current events, Elon Musk making headlines once again. Not just he, on Twitter? Yeah, or? No, no, no. Well, oh, okay. I think it was because of a tweet, <laughs> but not because he bought Twitter. Uh, essentially telling all uh, Tesla employees they got to come back into work, and he ruffled some feathers because he essentially said, Something along the lines of go work somewhere else or pretend to work somewhere else, something like that. If you yeah. don't come back to the office. Exactly. You're, yep. You have to be in the office 40 hours a week mm-hmm. or find some place and pretend you're working. Right. I think he's. I think it's an uh, oddity. I don't think it's going to become a trend at all uh, based off everything else we've seen. You know, Controversy aside, I mean, what do you guys think? You think people are going to trend that direction? I mean, I think realistically what people are realizing, and, and maybe more so than ever before, is that there is a lot of work that could be done without being required to be in the office. Yeah. That said, I feel like the one thing that everyone's been talking about here is how distant people seem, how poor some interpersonal communication skills are. If you're really looking to improve that and build your workplace around that, I think it's a huge detriment not to have people in the office conversing. Now, is it, hey, 40 hours a week? Is it, you know, three out of five days of the week? I could see an argument being made one way or another, but I think that we're never going to get to the point where there is absolutely no reason for you to not report to a workplace. I think that's fair. John, two well, cents? I think, you know, 70 hours a week is uh, <laughs> reasonable. That's what I worked when I worked, so 70 hours a week. But, uh, again... What are you building when you build a company? You're building a team. Mm-hmm. And you don't build it, the, you don't see the NFL send their players to a room where they play the game over a video. Mm-hmm. So the same thing is true here. There's a camaraderie you build, there's ideas that come up you wouldn't think about, there's uh, conflicts you have that stimulate the mm-hmm. growth of that outfit. It's, uh, I think Musk said that when he was building the cars, he was on the line with the workers 
so they could see he was contributing as well as they were. That's another feature. Right. When the the workers see that the white-collar guys are also putting in some sweat, that helps the morale of all the players. Mm -hmm. So I'm... I guess I'm in favor of going back to the offices. <laughs> so when can we expect to see you again, John? Well, you won't let me in, so I can't go. <laughs> well, I think we can make the exception. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds good. We'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll be talking about Elon again on a radio show to come. Oh, yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I said in the first segment, we're talking tonight about behavioral finance, some biases that come along with it, and just some cliches. So I'm going to start with a few, and then, John, I want to kind of get your just uh, – overarching thoughts on the matter but i like like to kind of just go one by one like i said i've seen a ton of headlines it drove me crazy because i see a bunch where it's follow this habit and you'll be a millionaire in a year <laughs> or do this and financial independence and mm -hmm. maybe they're right i don't know um <laughs> so all right so first one cash is king or cash is trash i've heard them both opinion do you think the truth lies somewhere in the middle or i guess why do you think people say either of the two <laughs> heavy sigh. Heavy sigh. Heavy sigh. Um, all right, so cash is trash. If we take a look at that here, John, to your point, the silent killer for any financial plan is inflation. Mm -hmm. You always have to be able to outpace inflation. So if we're looking at cash as the investment vehicle for you to reach your goals, cash is trash in that regard because cash will never stick up or continue to keep pace with inflation. That said, cash is king because as you look at it, there was an example to someone else I was talking to, talking about buying a house. Someone bought a house. Sure enough, they had, thankfully, a cash reserve on top of the 20% down payment that they made. Everything was good. Two days into their new home, car goes boom. Got to get a brand new vehicle at that point. Just puttered out on them, couldn't do anything with it. So. Brutal. If they had no cash at that point, they would have either had to take a loan for the entire amount or they would have been in a hard spot with, you know, one less vehicle. Um, so cash is king in that regards, too, because you have to have some cash to help with any kind of emergencies that come up. But you don't want it to be all of your investment portfolio. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, we need to think about that now. A lot of people are panicking with the market going down. And so they want to sell everything, go to cash, and hang on that way. Well, we know from studies that uh, that's a really dangerous decision mm -hmm. because the, the real question is then, if you go to cash now, you may be right for a while, but then when do you go back in? Right. And everyone is wrong on that decision. Yeah. yeah. Cost you lots of money. Yeah, and that's what scares me with, with some of the headlines. I get fearful that people read too much into one talking head, and they feel like a fool if they keep $10,000 of cash in the bank. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's probably not foolish. That's probably maybe even one a little bit more. But at the same time, don't run $500,000 in the bank, letting it get in by inflation. So, all right, that was the first one. We've got a lot more to come for the rest of the show. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. Quick reminder for anyone listening, if you feel like you've got a situation where you want to sit down with a financial planner, interview around, or just have someone take a look over your books and give their two cents, reminder, you can visit our website at managingtobewealthy.com. Click up in the top right, take action, schedule a meeting. It's uh, no pressure. It's, of course, free consultation meeting, but get to sit down with one of our certified financial planners, talk through what your situation looks like, and uh, go from there. 
But jumping back into it, just to put a bow on cash is king or cash is trash. I agree with you, Craig. I think it's like somewhere in the middle. Um, I definitely don't think you should only think cash is trash, but don't run a huge stockpile. John, I know you say you feel like people should be able to pay for anything with cash on hand. I think some people, a lot of people would agree. I think a lot of people would say that's maybe a pretty hard hurdle to jump. But well, it's not easy. Of course not. It wasn't easy back in 1940s or whatever it was yeah. when people were buying even a house. They had to save up all the money to buy the daggone thing. And mortgages came along later. Same thing is true here. If you're going to own something, again, that word own, mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean with a banker, if you own the place, you need to save up the money in advance before you buy it. Even if it's a sled or your car or your house or whatever else you're thinking about out there. So cash is, uh, it's not good to have half a million dollars of cash sitting around, yeah. but you should have enough cash for a reserve. Yeah. And cash for items. Bobby and I had to replace the dishwasher today. And that was fun. I'm sure. <laughs> Especially under new terms. You can't even get the daggone thing. Nope. You have to wait eight weeks. Yeah. Of course, I convinced them differently. <laughs> so they installed it today. But uh, there's all kinds of things going on. Your dishwasher blows out, your refrigerator, whatever. As you said, the car. Mm -hmm. Got to have the reserve. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's good. Yeah. I know. Well, let's say this though. So just to put a bow on it to make people make sure people understand if it's 10 years out, like say, you know, you're not going to buy a house for 10 years, you would say probably invest a little bit on the along the way without getting greedy and then pull back, move it to cash somewhere along the way. You have to be conservative in that investment because right. you have a specific time frame, and based on that time frame, yeah. you know how much quote unquote risk you can take. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. Uh, all right. So that's cash. Next one gets me going a little bit. So you should only invest your money in cash flow producing assets. Like what, Spencer? So I think I know I think of real <laughs> estate. And I think of real estate because people say that. When I hear that phrase thrown out there, mm -hmm. generally it's people saying you should only put your money in real estate because real estate shoots back rental income, use that rental income for anything else. I think you can make a solid argument that that applies to a lot more than real estate. Is that what your mind goes to when you're? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest ones that I've come across here when I hear people say income producing investments, I tend to quickly hear that followed up by either real estate or high dividend yep. yield stocks. Yep. Both of those could be fine. You know, again, there's a time and a place for them. You have to determine what your true risk tolerance is. But the other piece too is, and John, you've you've been a big stickler about this and opened my eyes to it is when you are looking at income producing investments or any investment, you have to assess them all the same. So if you're looking at it, and we'll, we'll pick on real estate because we love to do that. So, <laughs> um, but looking at real estate, if you're truly looking at an investment property, it's not just what you purchase it for and what you sell it for, it's all the maintenance, it's all the repairs, it's all the improvements that you make over the years to it, you have to factor those in as well. Now, you also get some added benefits as far as depreciation, some other things that you can use in, as an expense to offset the tax implications. But if you're truly looking at it and trying to assess the intrinsic rate of return for your investment, you have to factor in acquisition costs, so any realtor fees, again, those improvements, the debt payments that you may have made, because those are all part of, if you didn't have that real estate investment, you wouldn't have those expenses so you have to account for those as you're assessing that investment. You have another hidden cost that you may not think about, and that's if you have a mortgage 
you're paying down that mortgage every month or year, whatever it is, and so you're building more and more equity in the property, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is, if you're getting the same cash flow as when you made your original analysis, now that cash flow is worth less. Yep. Because $100 a month cash flow when there was 10% equity is a whole lot bigger than 30% equity. Right. And so people don't do that. They don't pay attention to it. And so they have a lot of equity tied up in that property. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what drives me crazy. It's like I hear it's only do real estate. And it's like, I like real estate too, if it makes sense. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for passive income. But the same way you're bragging about a rental property kicking off passive income, you reinvest. Ideally, you want something paying some dividends. So you can have a W-2 job and a rental property and a nice investment portfolio that's paying off passive income and reinvesting it. And I, I think a lot of people don't even think about that. Well, and the other piece that comes to my mind too is, well, what's driving that passive income to happen? Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that a rental property is still making money if there's no tenant in there. No, absolutely not. Yep. Same thing like the dividend paying stocks. If all of a sudden cash becomes less available or the company starts to you know pare back a little bit, maybe not necessarily going to be paying as high a dividend there. So again, when it comes to investing and diversifying, it's not just passive versus active income or ways that you can produce return, but the other things that you have to factor in is what's within my control and what's outside of my control. And you have to understand if there is something that's in your control, like keeping a tenant, having a lease agreement in place, those kind of things, that's what you need in order to make that income work. So you gotta make sure that you're focusing on that as you're assessing the investment. Now, Craig, you're forgetting about the uh, forever tenant. There's <laughs> Casper, the friendly ghost, <laughs> and some people believe that he's a tenant and paying them money. Uh, usually people don't know what they're buying when they buy real estate. Mm -hmm. They don't really know how to analyze it and evaluate it. And so in most cases, I like real estate too. I mean, I happen to own a little bit. And so when people tell me about this real estate deal, by the time I analyze it, they're they're losing money all the time. They don't even realize it. So mm -hmm. got to be really more sophisticated with real estate than the stock market. Plus, if you have a stock portfolio, you can create income. Mm -hmm. So that can be an income-producing port, uh, portfolio also, and it can be in the stock market. Absolutely. Whether it's dividend-producing stocks or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about just doing uh, sticking to the old adage of buy low and sell high got to be willing to sell when things are high so yeah. have a little bit of everything that's the that's the main takeaway so this is a good tie-in and uh, this is probably gonna be the last on the cliches that we'll get to touch on today uh, if you want to be like the rich the rich use debt and they love debt it's great for them okay so once again I'll throw it out there I think of two different things one is leveraging to once again own real estate that's why I said it's a nice tie-in the other piece is people probably think the recent headlines, I think with this Musk and Twitter pending acquisition, he took a huge margin loan on his Tesla stock. So that's technically a debt. You're taking a debt out on your assets. It's not taxed and you're going to pay some sort of interest rate, but they're leveraging their assets to do something big. I think that sounds wonderful. What do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, you got to understand what the downside is too. Yep. And and that's where a lot of people can get into a lot of bad deals because they don't truly understand what the terms of the debt that they have signed up for is. Yeah. And so, yes, a mortgage, fairly straightforward. But then all of a sudden you get an adjustable rate mortgage, a HELOC, a conventional 15-year mortgage, a 30-year mortgage. Those are all probably terms that we have heard before, but each one of them 
is very different in how it's structured and how things are happening there. So you have to understand what debt you're taking on. But yes, debt can be a good thing, but only in the right time or the right instances. Right. Investment debt is a fully good idea if you use it properly, as you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just don't pay, play too fast and loose and get burned. That's that's the takeaway. Oh, no one would do that. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. not at all. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap this, and then we're going to move into the last part of the show in the next segment. So please stick around. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Welcome back to Managing to Be Wealthy. We're closing out the show. I spent the last segment talking about a lot of cliches. What I hear a lot of talking heads thrown out there. Last segment, just because we don't have three hours for tonight's show alone, we're going to move into behavioral finance. Before we jump to that, I'm going to just say a lot of the behavioral finance, I think it ties in a lot to just how a lot of people act nowadays, especially with the stock market and everything else. Um, I I heard someone, I forget who it was, who hosted the show a couple of weeks ago, maybe Steven, made a comment that he thinks a lot of this is kind of tying into instant gratification, whether it's the cliches, everything else. John, I'm going to leverage the expertise. Do you think that's the case? Has have these trends kind of always been around, and maybe just a little bit worse now than before? Well, I think you have to pay attention to our social status. And indeed, I saw a wonderful uh, little video where someone had this uh, young woman come in for a job interview. Maybe you saw it, and she said, "I'm very knowledgeable in uh, technology." He says, "Oh, great. Do you know Excel? Oh, no. Do you know PowerPoint? M no." Do you know a uh, publisher? Uh, uh, no. Well, what do you know? He's, she says, oh, PIN and, uh, you know, whatever all those things are. Facebook. No, not, <laughs> no, not Facebook. Facebook is for old people. She oh, said. okay. So, I guess meta. You hit some big ones. You hit yeah. big ones so. so then he said to her, well, uh, okay, uh, you need to, uh, you have to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. And there's a big pause. And she says, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, what do you mean? She says, 8 o'clock? In the morning? Well, I'm out all night with my boyfriend and his family, and we do parties. And then, you know, by the time I go to bed, it's about 3 o'clock, and I get up the next morning, go get my, uh, uh, what is it, that Starbucks, Starbucks mm -hmm. and I order it. She tells the order and so on and so forth. So I'd be pretty good around 1045. <laughs> and he looks at her, and he says, I don't think we're a match. She <laughs> says, what are you talking about? He says, I don't think we're a match. She says, are you firing me? He says, well, I guess so. She says, where's HR? I want to issue a complaint because you haven't been counseling to me. And on a, that's the attitude that's pervasive today. And it flows into the investing, the rearing of our children to our school systems. We, we are one big society and we have to remember that. And each person should be personally responsible. Back to that. And uh, that's not available right now. You guys are like that, but... So many people are not. What about some of the other trends, though? Like, I, what about the 80s? Credit card debt became a huge problem. Some people definitely were playing it fast and loose in the stock market and didn't really probably understand what they were doing. So, like, thinking about people saying cash is trash, you're a fool if you just let your money sit in cash. Inflation was high in the 80s, too. Yep. Quite arguably higher than it is currently for a lot of those years. And people were running up too much debt that they probably didn't need. So, do you think it's worse now than like the 80s? Or Yes, I think it's worse now because the attitude is different. The fact that we're talking about 
the government paying your school loans is a major, major problem. It, the founders didn't want the government in charge of much at all. They wanted the individual in charge of his own affairs. And so here we have this government getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we should all know that the bigger the government gets, the worse it is. That's fair. Craig, I know you were born in the 80s, but that's the only reason I... I was not born in the 80s. I'm still a 90s You're child. You're 90s? Oh, 90. There you go. Yeah. Wow. So, Thanks for calling me out, <laughs> mister. Yeah, so what are you, a mini, mini, whatever it is? Millennial. Yeah. yeah. Are you one of those? I'm the atypical, but yep. Atypical. Okay, now I'm yeah. lost. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a so here's a big behavioral finance one. So this is essentially called feedback bias, and I like this one. I thought it was really good. It's essentially saying that people don't want to look at a five-year trend, right? If you hit a nice call the last three months, six months, you could have a boatload of evidence thrown at you to the contrary to say that was great. You won big. Maybe it wasn't part of the historical average, but call a win a win diversify, do something else, particularly in the stock market. And typically, some people tend to have the bias to say, throw as many facts at me as you want. I don't really care. I'm killing it the last six months. I'm going to keep rolling. I feel like I see that a lot. I'm not going to pigeonhole crypto. What do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I mean, I think part of that, too, is with how quickly things have evolutionized, I'll say, as far as yeah. anyone can be an investment advisor these days. Hey, to your point, last three months... I've been buying corn futures, and I've been just making huge gains on on my corn futures through my <laughs> Robinhood account. So if I all of a sudden post that on a social media aspect, if I do something else, I may not have any idea why I decided to do that other than I like pop. I know there's corn syrup in pop. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to invest in corn futures at this point. Well, I like popcorn. Well, there you Let's go. See, that's good. There you go. <laughs> see, fits right in, too. Um, but to those points... Again, it's all about, okay, well, is that also recency bias? Are we just excited at the fact that, hey, we may have got a 20% return, and we think that that's going to be realistic to sustain for the next three, six months? But if you, again, to your point, Spencer, some people are, uh, I guess, numb to the other historical facts or the other historical instances. Then you get smacked with a 2022, and now all of a sudden it's, hey, what is doing well right now? Where can I find positive rate of return? And there are so few instances and people are panicking because they're saying, well, gosh, I should have just stayed in cash. Even getting 0.01% is something positive. Mm. And it's you can't invest with the rearview mirror. And I feel like that's what people are doing right now is they're saying, hey, I've done this once before. I should be able to do it again. What did I do last time that seemed to work? Whereas now, why am I doing something similar and it's not working? I think it ties in nicely with the herd. Mentality bias, too. That's a big one. You could be like the middle of the pack with the herd on the next big investment fad win for a couple months, and then the herd, the front of the herd leaves, takes their wins, and, and they keep it moving. And those, I think those two really kind of blend together, and it could be pretty rough for some people with the bias. What's the, what's the best way to get around it? I can't think of one other than throwing a bunch of facts in people's face, but if the recency one is true, do people want to hear it? Well, they generally do not. One of the most difficult things I had to deal with when I was working was diver uh, diversifying portfolio allocation. Mm -hmm. That works. No matter what's on the horizon, you need to know all the pieces that are on the horizon, but you need to be diversified, allocated accordingly, and you should be all right. You should, like right now, if you're properly allocated, you should be weathering this storm. Yes, your portfolio is down. Don't panic over that because in another five years, where could it be? Yeah. So don't panic. Right.
And I think, again, to that point, too, a lot of the herd mentality here right now is, again, you know, I love technology. It makes all of our lives easier for the most part. Um, but I feel like right now you're getting people who are bragging and boasting and showing, hey, look at how great I did. I was just, you know, doing this, this or this beforehand. And I had one great win and that great win led to a huge windfall. If I can do it, you can do it. Not necessarily. You may have just been that squirrel that found that one nut when no one else was even looking for it at that point. You mean this is the technology that's been down dramatically the last three months? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> hey, I don't want my commercials, John. I got to find you know, something yeah. at this point. <laughs> I think that's it, though. I mean, I think it is. I mean, John, to your point, I take that to mean build the base. The base has to be diversified. And once again, that's why I brought up the instant gratification point. I feel like if you can just wait a little bit longer, get the other ducks in a row, you can get down the line, have a solid base. And if you want to try and follow the herd and afford to lose a little bit, feel free, right? Just don't do too much to it. And in the show, right, we can only get through pretty much behavioral finance Little and cliches <laughs> we didn't, yeah we didn't talk about insurance estate planning all these other expenses that come into the play and i know a lot of times people only kind of fixate on one or two things and it's like there's so much more that you have to get into before you should go right. too far down the rabbit hole that's why it's called managing to be well yeah absolutely yep absolutely no i mean that that's it there's a lot of other things there's a lot of other ways to become wealthy and it's not just strictly instant gratification sometimes you got to go the longer road Beware the cliches, stick to the plan. So please come around for the next show. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on 610 WTVN.